This podcast was founded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our deepest respects to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners and elders past, present and emerging. We honour and celebrate the contributions of the oldest living civilization to art and storytelling. We all misbehave sometimes Want to change the world Indulge in some bad Hello and welcome to a new season of Bad Behaviour, the show for rebellious spirits that aren't afraid to tackle the taboo. I'm Rosalind. And I'm Nicola. And we're so happy to have you here for season three. Season mother plucking three. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) That was an expertly done introduction, Rosalind, if I may say so. You really delivered the goods (laughs) with that one. What do you guys think? Do you like it? We thought we'd have a little catchphrase. We thought we'd throw in one. <laughs> I don't know if it's a catchphrase. It's more like a sentence descriptor of the podcast, but it's pretty zanny. Isn't that what a catchphrase is? Oh, a catchphrase is something you say all the time that you're known for. Exactly. I think your catchphrase is um this old nugget, which Ew. you say. Do I say that? You're like, oh, that old nugget. That's disgusting. I need to stop saying that. That's not a good catchphrase. I feel like my catchphrase is, it is what it is, which is really depressing. I feel like yours for a while there was, c'est la vie. <laughs> like a chill little French lady, c'est la vie. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm very chill, very French. Would you describe yourself as chill? I don't know if I'd describe you as chill. I think I am chill, but that I'm also excitable, which seems like an oxymoron, but it just depends when you catch me. I'm one or the other. I'm either really chill or quite excitable. It's my Gemini energy. You don't need to be one thing all the time. That's just impossible, isn't it? If I was chill all the time, this podcast would be very different. Well, speaking of being something all the time, (laughs) do you want to tell everyone what you're up to and what you've discovered about yourself? Well, guys, I don't know if you can tell. You probably can. I probably sound further away. I probably sound a little different, a little bit more mature, a little bit more, may I say, European. (laughs) Oh, why is that, Ruth? Well, (laughs) I moved. I moved countries. I moved 10,000 miles across the sea. I now live in Amsterdam. I moved just after New Year. I arrived, I looked around and I said, yes, good decision. And it's been amazing. This is an incredible city to live in. And my goodness, I'm so glad we can still do the podcast though. But the time zone's a bitch. The time zones are a bitch for sure. But let's not tell the listeners that. Let's just pretend it's seamless. (laughs) Nicola, how have you been in our little break? How's your your health? How's your life? How's your spiritual and (laughs) emotional well-being? Well, that's a really great question. You moved, so that really shook things up for me. And I'd say just a downward spiral since then, you know. Every day is a struggle. I wake up thinking of you. Um, I can't go about my day just because of, you know, I'm wondering what you're up to, etc., etc. So You carry a photo of me with you everywhere, mention me in every conversation that you have. (laughs) 
That sounds like you, honestly. Back to that normal is, scheduling. That That's so fucking true. something that you I would do. I don't have a photo of you. <laughs> Mate, you have like endless photos of me on your phone. Don't pretend like you're not obsessed. That's because you don't take photos. And so if I don't take photos of you, you won't remember what you look like right now. Like you'll be like, Did, was I even around? Absolutely correct. I have the worst memory. And also I never take photos, which means... I'm practically invisible, you know, like I don't really exist in the world. <laughs> exactly. I'm just here to document your life. <laughs> You're my personal historian. I'm so fucking excited for this new season. Like I really feel like we have put on our little thinking caps and come up with some really great episodes it makes me happy it's pushed my brain in new directions i think it's time to jump into this next episode when i say she's one of my favorite youtubers i followed her for a little while and there's a very specific reason why which we will get into (laughs) in the episodes (laughs) itself but she's so much fun she's so charismatic and wonderful and i reach out to her thinking there's no way she'll ever come on the show and she did i got to meet her and i fangirled and it was really fun so we're talking to elena joy and we're talking about compulsory heterosexuality so without further ado let's jump right in shall we get cozy get ready let's go I'm Elena Joy. I go by Elena Joy on the internet. Um, I make content, mostly queer content, about the LGBTQ community, primarily on YouTube. I try to keep my content kind of light and entertaining and fun. So the idea is that people can come to my channel and watch my stuff and laugh and then leave having maybe accidentally learned something. That's kind of the vibe I go for. I also teach about mindfulness, compassion, self-care, those kinds of things. It's kind of my two wheelhouses. I love that your YouTube video is essentially like, you know how you get kids to eat vegetables (laughs) by slipping vegetables into (laughs) their food? (laughs) I've never made that comparison. That's literally what it is. I'm just here to trick you into eating your vegetables. For those who don't know, maybe we could start with a definition of just what is compulsory heterosexuality. From my understanding, essentially... Compulsory heterosexuality, or COMPHET as it's known for short, is this idea that we grow up with heterosexuality, quote-unquote straight relationships, man-woman relationships, being the default. So the idea that being straight or being interested in the opposite gender is the norm. We're not taught to question sexuality unless it's in some way queer. We're not taught to question any sort of straight or heterosexual ideology. When did you first come across the term compet? Was it Master Doc Online that everyone talks about? That's how I first found ah, it. Ah, okay, the lesbian Master Doc? Is that what you're referencing? This worldwide Tumblr phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it has become. I first heard of compet in my comment section after I re-came out, the big re-coming out, completely not knowing that like my whole life was compulsory heterosexuality. Like I had no idea that this is this huge factor that had been at play in my entire life until I, on my own, stepped out of Compet and like realized that I'd been operating under this false framework, made a video for the internet about it, 
And then my whole comment section was like, Elena, have you heard of CompHet? Read about it immediately. Like this is exactly what you're describing. So like many of us lived it without having ever heard of it. So Elena and I mentioned the lesbian master doc and you might be wondering what on earth we are talking about. In January 2018, a teenage Angeli Luz posted a Google Doc to her Tumblr. She was exploring her sexuality and trying desperately to understand the difference between her genuine sexual attraction and societal conditioning, which is something that compulsory heterosexuality makes really, really hard to distinguish between. The document that she shared is now known as the Lesbian Master Doc, and it was shared all over the internet, and it's very, very quickly became a worldwide phenomenon. Over the years, many, 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 many queer women have read it, including Nicola and I. The Master Doc reads a little bit like a stream of consciousness. It's definitely not a academic document. It's more a document that Angeli wrote over two days to help her work through her own confusion. In it, she provides definitions of concepts like compulsory heterosexuality and also a long list of common examples of feelings and behaviours that compulsory heterosexuality can cause or influence. It's like a really, really in-depth Am I Gay quiz built to help you examine your sexuality and, and examine your feelings. You might read it and relate to only a few points on the list or you might be ticking them off one by one. Here are a few examples from the list. You get crushes on just about every guy you're friendly with because you find it hard to differentiate between friendship and attraction. You think that all straight girls feel at least some attraction to women. When watching hetero porn, you focus entirely on the women. You worry that you can't be a lesbian because you can't be 100% sure that you're not attracted to men or be 100% sure that you won't change your mind. When thinking about intimacy with men, you always consider what you could force yourself to do or what you could tolerate doing rather than what you want to do. Those are just a few examples and there are so many more definitions and behaviors and thoughts that you might have had if you are questioning your sexuality. So if you are questioning your sexuality or you just want to do a little exercise to explore your attraction to men or what the social conditioning behind that could be or just want to have a good read and understand it a little bit, then the Lesbian Master Doc could be a really good place to start. You can find it with a quick Google search, but we'll also include a link in our show notes. As always, stay safe. Let's start from the beginning. I grew up in a very small town in rural Manitoba, Canada. It was slash is a very conservative place, a very religious place. I grew up very involved in the church. Basically the only exposure that I had to queerness was queer men and the idea that they were going to hell, right? Like that was kind of my only touch point for what being gay meant. And then as I got older and I started experiencing my own queerness through like junior high and high school, as I'm sure many of us do, I jumped through every hoop in my head to make myself not a queer person, right? So I really believed that I was straight. I really truly believed that I was straight and that all girls felt the way that I felt about other girls. We just didn't talk about it. <laughs> and then when I decided that maybe I should talk about this with a couple of friends, because I was really excited about it, when I had my first couple of experiences with women in high school, 
I told one of my closest friends about it, I was really excited. I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> honestly, I thought I had found a loophole to the entire, like, you gotta save your virginity to marriage thing. Like you can't have sex before marriage. I was like, why aren't we just having sex with women? This is great. I thought I'd found like the magic secret sauce. I told my friend about it. She was absolutely horrified, disgusted with me, told me that this was a completely shameful thing and I should absolutely never do it again. Never mind, think about it again, talk about it again. And that was a big turning point for me in terms of like, oh, okay, this is something I need to keep to myself. This is something shameful and bad. Still thought I was straight. Still thought this was just a straight experience until after high school, I heard the term bisexuality. I'm pretty sure I heard it on YouTube. Thank God for YouTube and the communities on there. It was like an aha moment when I heard the word, right? Like I thought that just makes sense. I'm bi, there's the answer. I'm clearly attracted to men because I've dated men, I've flirted with men, I've been with men since puberty. <laughs> and then I also have this attraction to women, ding, 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 bisexuality. And I believed that for the next almost decade. And again, I really believed it. This isn't a case where I was actively repressing the way that I felt or actively denying the way that I felt. I really, truly believed that I was bi, just like I really, truly believed that I was straight. But I started to have these panic attacks and these fears around the idea that I might possibly be gay. Whenever that would kind of come to the surface, I just absolutely freaked out and would rationalize to myself how that could definitely not be true. I was in a long-term relationship with a man, a wonderful, loving, supportive, stable, beautiful relationship. And so that was kind of my base of convincing myself that I was definitely bi. Because look at this relationship that I had. There's no way that I could be gay because I loved my partner and I wanted to be with him. And then COVID hit. I mean, there's a lot to go into here, but a few more of the details were that my male partner and I had gotten engaged. So we were starting to plan this wedding. We also had an open sort of relationship where I was exploring my queerness outside of my relationship with him. And COVID kind of magnified both of those things, right? So it took away the queer side of my life. It took away my ability to go out and kind of experience my gayness <laughs> while also setting up a perfect space for us to like plan this wedding. As the time went on, I just felt more and more anxiety. I was having more and more panic attacks until I couldn't deny it anymore. The pieces kind of fell into place where I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm gay. <laughs> That's what this is. That's why this wedding is a source of anxiety and panic rather than a source of excitement and joy. That's why this queer side of my life that I've conceptualized as just a side of my life has been becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and why I've wanted it to hold more space. And everything just kind of made sense. COVID gave everyone this time to reflect and that was certainly my experience. Actually, one reason that I became a big fan of yours was because of your second coming out video. 
came to me during a time where I was questioning a lot of things and I was like, oh, (laughs) that's what's going on. So you were definitely part of my own journey coming to realize that because I had a similar thing where from high school, I thought I was bi. I was giving people advice. I was really open about it. No one questioned it. I didn't either because I was so open and chill. So it's fine. No one needs to question this. I'm with you. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I was at a hairdresser with like, you know, those big like heater things. Looking at myself in the mirror, I was like, dude, you're gay. And I was like, oh. Um, Why that I can- moment? Where- I have no idea. I guess because I just had some time to reflect, like sitting under this like <laughs> heated thing. Yeah. Just a moment of stillness. You're like, COVID wasn't enough. I needed to be trapped. <laughs> <laughs> and so I couldn't escape. I was just in public going, oh, shit. Um, oh, no. Your video was really key to that discovery. So thank you so much for making it. You are absolutely welcome. I'm honored to have been a part (laughs) of your journey. You and the hairdresser. Yes, (laughs) equal. We can take equal responsibility. For both of our stories, it's very much you didn't even question the attraction to men's side. It's everything else you question. That was the big aha moment for me was realizing exactly what you just said, that I had never once asked myself, am I attracted to men? It was always, that was a given. It was like that that was the obvious answer. There was nothing to see here. You're attracted to men, you just like you're attracted to whoever. And then, but I questioned my queerness incessantly, right? Like I rode my queerness into the ground with investigating whether or not that part of me was true. And (laughs) I like how you were saying that you're like chill and so open about it. So you're like, yeah, bisexuality is for me. It was the same for me and online, right? Like I was openly bisexual to everybody in my life, to my online community, to my audience. And I, (laughs) oh God, I had merch that said confirmed bisexual on it, right? Which is like, oh my God, Elena, Um, whoops. (laughs) Yeah, but, it was confirmed. <laughs> yeah, but this, so what I meant by that was it's confirmed I'm queer. It's confirmed I'm attracted to women. It's confirmed I'm attracted to not men. Yeah, I can stop questioning that bit. That's done. Exactly. I have confirmed it. I know it for sure. Never thought to confirm the other side of that equation. Yeah, one half of you's like, I knew that the whole time. And the other half's like, I did not know that the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many of us are sharing this experience now, which is incredible. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners will understand that feeling of like, it's like this veil is lifted and suddenly everything makes sense. And I'm like, how did I not see this sooner? Right? But the answer is compulsory heterosexuality. That's how I didn't see it sooner. This is what I've been fed since I was a child. Yeah, all of the success in your life, you know, you're taught that marriage to a man is like, that's the pinnacle of relationships. You've won, you know, there's just every story you're told is just leading you down this particular road. So of course you're not going to question it. And the idea that male validation is like the number one thing that women should strive for, right? This part of my confusion for so many years or like part of my not understanding this part of myself was that like, I enjoyed flirting with men. I dated men, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my relationship. I enjoyed the experiences that I'd had in my past. So I was like, I can't be gay. 
And then I realized that the thing that I was enjoying in those interactions was the feeling of being desired. Like I wasn't experiencing desire myself. I was enjoying the feeling of being desired because we're taught that being desired by men is like the number one most important thing that you're supposed to do. And so I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way it made me feel. That was another aha moment when I realized that. <laughs> when I started experiencing actual desire, when I was in experiences where I was like, oh. Have you found that now that you're aware, <laughs> your relationship to men when you're out and about and, you know, male friendships, have you found that that's shifted a lot? Whoa, interesting question. One, I've never been asked that before. Two, I don't think I've really thought about it. Oh, whoa. I think a big immediate shift was realizing that all of these relationships that I had thought were crushes is like just what friendship is. Like that's a friendship feeling and needing to teach myself that's what a friendship feels like. It sounds to anybody who's never experienced this, that might sound like objectively strange, but I'm sure there are folks out there who are like nodding along and understanding what I'm saying. But like, because for so many years, I mistook friendship feelings for romantic feelings, that's something I'm needing to actively unlearn in all my friendships is like, I find myself when I have like a friendship feeling where I'm like, oh my God, I like, like this person so much. My mind automatically goes to, oh, this is a romantic interest. So needing to actively teach myself that like, no, Elena, this is what friendship is. Like, this is a healthy friendship feeling. This is a platonic feeling. You just like being around that person. And it means that that means you can be friends. That's something that has shifted with the men in my life. And other than that, the biggest shift I would say between me and men is that like, I don't care what you think anymore. <laughs> like, I don't mean that in a rude way. I mean it in like, I'm not seeking their validation anymore. So there's this freedom of like not feeling like I need to present myself in a way that's going to be validated by the male gaze. Like I feel free from the male gaze and I feel like I can dress and look and talk and sit and behave just as who I am and not have to think about like, is this attractive to the men around me? Cause I don't care. I don't care if the men around me are attracted to me anymore. And that is huge. So nice. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. It's so nice. And like, here, here's the thing. Even if you are, are attracted to men, like in a romantic sexual way, I would still recommend trying to free yourself from the male gaze. I just would recommend it to every single person because it's incredible. <laughs> the male gaze. G-A-Z-E the gaze of the male. So when we talk about the male gaze, this is what we're talking about. If you think of a painting, like a Renaissance painting, the actual picture is always from the perspective of the artist. And in most cases, that is a man. And in terms of Renaissance painting, it's a white cis man. And so the perspective that you see in those paintings is always going to be from their eyes and it's going to sexualize the women in the painting. There's a lot of naked women sort of lying around being both 
virginal and also very seductressy you know there's a lot of that and the also all of the paintings you know of the quote new world is going to be from a white perspective like it just is such a clear way of going this is the perspective of the painter that is exactly how we see it and the thing is that is true for the entire world (laughs) because of the patriarchy and the structures in which we live we are always going to be you know the legislation that is made and the policies that we have and the social norms that we have, the people in power have for the most part been white, cis, straight men. And so it has always been made from that perspective. And so women are used to just living their lives with that view, with that gaze and with that understanding that the world will see them and see their worth based on the perspective of those in power, which is white, cis, males. That is what I mean by the male gaze. And it takes years to unlearn. Like it's really deeply entwined and viewpoint that objectifies and has power over, you know, women and non-binary people. So it doesn't feel great when it's directed at you. No. And also it doesn't feel great when it's directed at men themselves. That's how we get to toxic masculinity and this sort of like machismo, hyper-masculine, that's the only way to be yeah, a real you man. you can't uphold the standards of the male gaze. It doesn't allow men to be vulnerable, to be, you know, caregivers, to be nurturing. Like it's really prescriptive and it's just built off gender inequality and rigid gender stereotypes. So it basically it sucks it's really shit and it's um yeah that's our summary it It sucks sucks. and it's everywhere uh so look out (laughs) so this is what is really interesting I wanted to talk to you a bit about our experiences mostly recently but we have had very different experiences of this so hi everyone I've never really explicitly said what my sexuality is because I feel very comfortable with the word queer. I really like being part of the wider community, but I am a gay woman. I had a similar story to Elena where for a long period of time I did identify as bi or pan or somewhere in that space. It never felt super comfortable saying that. Turns out I'm gay and that's why. (laughs) Oh, so cute. We love gay Roz. She's the best. She's happier. She really is. She's um, just got... A certain gayness around her that just radiates joy. The thing is, though, I found that to be a really transformative. I mean, obviously it was scary and there was a lot of other stuff going on emotionally. But one of the things that was really interesting was how I felt liberated from the male gaze once I had kind of accepted and embodied my gay identity. Because suddenly when I went out... I would be talking to men and there was no tension for me. There might have been on their side, but there was no sort of like, I have to impress this person because there's this kind of, you know, tension about will they, won't they, or this need to be liked or to be admired or validated by men's regard of me. Like the idea I had to be pretty in a really masculine way viewed way or you know all of this stuff like the thing is when you talk about like 
dressing gay and that is such a stereotype too but you can dress more masculine and people will assume that you're gay and I think some of that is because like the male gaze has taught us that pretty has one definition softer and all of this stuff all of this stuff is so tied up in this binary view of the world and yet as soon as I didn't have this need to be appreciated by the men in my life I could just dress how I wanted. I felt so much more comfortable. I have more straight male friends in my life than I ever have before because they're just people. (laughs) And it's been really interesting because it's so different and it's so hard to describe when you haven't gone through that transition yourself. But it's such a liberating feeling. Well, that sounds fucking divine. Sign me up. (laughs) That just sounds beautiful. It would be nice to have some straight cis male friends but I would also need like I need to know that they're good people and they've engaged in some like unlearning work because all of my female friends have all of my queer friends have it's so that unlearning and relearning is like so intrinsic to who we are and how we go about the world being wrong is a liberating and wonderful thing I don't like being wrong but It's something that if you can admit that you're wrong and learn and grow and move through that feeling of, oh shit, like you're a better person at the end. And I think sometimes there are some straight men in my life who cannot be wrong. (laughs) 100%. And I mean, again, taking it back Maybe this is just me complaining about the men (laughs) in my life now. (laughs) I mean, do you want to put anyone in particular on blast? Oh, it's time. It's time. (laughs) I'm naming names. (laughs) Yep, she's going to name and shame, honestly. This is your last warning. If you're on strike three with Rosalind, you better fucking pull your socks up because she'll name and shame you. Your toe's in the water and it's about to boil. (laughs) (laughs) This is not that type of podcast, honestly. I wish that we... Actually, no, I don't wish that it was that type of podcast where we just put people on blast. Why would you wish it was that kind of podcast? Don't call drama upon us but I do love it. I love the drama. I was thinking about, and I think one of the ways that I can really like feel its impact and like kind of trace it back bit by bit. And I think this would be the same for a lot of people is with sex, you know, like when you start learning to what sex is and how to have sex and who you want to have sex with, and you start having crushes on people and stuff. I feel like that's when I personally felt like the really hefty weight of being perceived by men, you know, and like having to like reach these standards. And it took me so Mm. long to realize that I didn't have to. Like I really, you know, I wish I could go back and give 19, 20, 21, honestly, like maybe my entire 20s. Um, I just, yeah, like that performance, particularly with like pleasure, like that was a big thing that I didn't really realize that like women could enjoy sex or that like me being uncomfortable wasn't like if if I was uncomfortable, I could stop having sex, you know, like whether it's just in my body or with like my boundaries, like it seems like such a simple thing to learn. No, absolutely. And this is the thing, right? Like compulsory heterosexuality is not something that it's not just, oh, I'm going to look at this and then decide I'm gay at the end. It's also really great for straight women to consider because you start considering the ways in which 
those kind of things are societally led rather than pleasure led or self led. I feel like I had the same thing. One of the reasons that sex with men was so weird was because I assumed that that was what pleasure and my sexuality felt like. I was just like, I'm just a little, I'm built a little different, but you know, it's still fine. Like I've been taught to accept it. From what you're saying, it's a similar thing where if you don't have that moment where you can really dig into that stuff, you're going to just accept the performance and you're going to accept like, this is how it's done. This is how I am desirable. This is how I can please someone without really questioning why and what it is you want from that interaction. The thing that you said that I really love it's like don't unlearn this shit for queer people or non-binary people like unlearn it for yourself like any I feel like that's one of the key themes of every single conversation we have like you know the people that we talk to have figured out how to live authentically as themselves like they have so much passion so much drive and it's like you know they don't need you you to pity them and like unlearn it for them the whole message is like your life will be so much better if you unlearn the male gaze mostly i'm just proud of this community and the fact that people do allow for fluidity and i think more and more we're seeing and like understanding and accepting that sexuality is so fluid trying to box in someone based on the label that makes them feel most comfortable does more harm than good from my perspective because I was someone who your content has meant a lot to me personally seeing that journey was really important because it kind of validated my own experience of like I was pretty fucking sure <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> you know seeing someone go through the same thing it was like at some point my past of being so sure became its own hindrance because it was like but I've been so sure for so long that I don't need to question it anymore and then when I started doing it I was like but you did this already <laughs> you went through this already you know like and yeah, you're like, oh, again? <laughs> Why are we here again? <laughs> I'm not 16. You've been doing YouTube since 2012, right? Is that when you started? That's almost 10 years. <laughs> wow. That's a long time. <laughs> what made you decide to first start making them back in 2012? I found YouTube when I was in high school. I was like homesick. And I don't even, I don't remember how I found it. I just, I remember finding some like cute cat videos. And then suddenly I was watching Tessa Violet, like Mika Kitty at the time. And I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. She's hilarious. And through that, I found like this community of people. Community is really big for me. I don't, I, I know I've said that don't take a drink every time I say the word community in this episode, but like really that's what it all comes back to for me. As I saw this community of people who were making videos and like sharing them with each other and building friendships and I wanted to be a part of it. I had been making videos since I was like in elementary school ever since I picked up my dad's first camcorder. I just loved the medium of video so finding this space where people were creating videos and then also creating friendships and relationships and sharing them online. I was like I want to do that. I want in. And so I started my channel just as like a 
basically because I wanted to be a part of it. And then when I started discovering folks who were talking about mental health and talking about sexuality and talking about things that the people in my like quote unquote real life in my face to face life weren't talking about it just like solidified that this was somewhere that I wanted to be. For people listening, is there any advice that you would give them if they were hearing about Compet for the very first time? I mean, look up the lesbian master doc, just like have a peruse, because even if you look into compulsive heterosexuality, um, if you're questioning your sexuality and you realize, oh no, that, that doesn't apply to me or that this isn't my experience, that's good to know too, right? Like, my invitation is to question all sides of the framework. No matter what answer you come up with, it's just helpful to know, right? More information is, is a good thing. I would just say that the most important thing, in my opinion, is to live a life that's authentic to you. And so it can be really scary. It can be really scary to make that choice, but you always do have a choice. You know, like I was engaged. We had been together for almost 10 years. We were gonna have kids. We were gonna buy a house. Like we, I was on a very clear path. My life had a trajectory and it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done to choose to get off that ride, you know, to end that relationship and to essentially turn my entire life upside down. It felt inconceivable. It felt unattainable. It felt impossible. And yet I managed. I needed to make that choice because I needed to live a life that was most authentic to me. And I knew that that life wasn't possible with a man because I'm a gay woman and that is what it is, right? So no choice is permanent, is I think what I would offer. You are allowed to choose something different for yourself. You are also allowed to try something new on and decide it's not for you, right? Like truly, no choice is permanent. You can even get tattoos removed nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Get tattooed. That's what Elena would like to say. Don't be sad. Go get a tattoo. <laughs> what do you think the world would look like if we were much more accepting of people's sexualities and maybe Compet didn't have such a huge grip on the world? I think we're getting there. I think it's we're inching, inching our way slowly. We're seeing more representation in the media for queer folks and like intersectional queerness too, which is incredible. I just think that we could all breathe a little easier if there wasn't so much pressure and strain put on this idea of like finding a label and figuring out what fits you and then like doing your life that way. Because I think we hope that we're gonna find comfort in the scripts that are handed to us once we pick a label, right? Like, okay, well, if I'm straight, then this is the path my life will take. If I'm gay, this is the path my life will take. When like, none of that's true. None of us know. We have no idea what's gonna happen in our lives. Not a fucking clue, right? So <laughs> like, if Compet didn't exist and we all just kind of could live our lives as fluidly as possible and like let go of not just Compet, but like scripts and ideas of what things should look like, just, just be a, we'd all just be able to breathe a little easier. 
I think we'd have a more authentic world. For anybody who is kind of going through this same experience right now of possibly realizing that the sexuality you thought fit maybe doesn't anymore and you're kind of like entering this new world of queer dating or queer relationships or just like queerness in general, if you're having the thought to yourself, like, I'm too late, or I've, I'm too old, I've missed it, I'm too inexperienced, stop. Stop yourself right there, because there are so many of us, all ages, I get messages daily, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, just coming to these realizations and like starting that journey of self-exploration. So if that can bring any comfort, like just <laughs> cut out any of those thoughts of like, I'm too old, I missed the boat, I'm, I'm too inexperienced. Not true. We all start somewhere and a lot of us are starting now. And there's no boat. I wish there was. If there was a boat, I would go. Sounds like a party. <laughs> it's true. If anybody's like starting a boat, can you send us both an Sign invitation? Sign me up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Put my name on the list. I'm there. It's like when my mom goes, you just need to get out there. And I'm like, where is there? Where? If you told me where it was, I would go. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this, our first episode of season three. We've loved making it. I hope you've loved listening to it. If you have any thoughts on hetero heterosexuality, on compulsory heterosexuality or anything that we've discussed today, we would love to hear about it. Reach out to us on Instagram at badbehaviorpodcast or shoot us an email, info at badbehaviorpodcast.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bad Behavior is a proud podcast with Diamantina Media. This episode's executive producer was Rosalind Ankatel, hosted by Rosalind Ankatel and Nicola Cranich, editing and sound design by Namcheja Megembe, produced by Rosalind Ankatel, Nicola Cranich, and Namcheja Megembe. Our logo was designed by Bonnie Eichelberger. We all misbehave sometimes Wanna change the world Indulge in some bad behavior